This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner. It is entitled, Ruth and Providence and the Hand of God. Uh, feel free to listen to all of our Shabbat messages wherever you get your podcasts. They are also on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you can also read my dad's weekly essays that he puts out. You can subscribe to them if you put your email in the little subscribe box. And as always, our theme music is by my buddy Evan Shaw. His website is evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. All right, so we're in Ruth. I'm going to start again. We're in Ruth, and we're going to look at uh, this book in the light of the fact, as I just said, that the unseen hand of God is always at work no matter what time you live in and no matter what's going on. And Ruth is a perfect illustration. This whole book is a perfect illustration of what I'm calling Ruth. Here's the title, Ruth. Providence, the unseen hand of God. There is, you know, sometimes you can look around and say, where is God? What's he up to? Why isn't he answering my prayers? Why isn't he changing certain circumstances? Where is he? Well, God is always there. But he's not necessarily always creating the landscape of our life how we would like it to be. Sometimes everything's fine. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes everything makes sense. Sometimes it's like nothing makes sense. Sometimes you're healthy. Sometimes you're sick. Sometimes somebody dies and sometimes somebody lives. But God is in everything. And I tend to lose sight of that. You know, we're in the middle of this faux COVID pandemic. And... We're really starting to feel the squeeze, I think, a little bit. I mean, the pressure of just wearing masks. And then with the blog that I just put out, uh, it says that the, uh, who's that guy? The, the medical guy in, that's in head of Virginia said that as soon as uh, the vaccine is, is available and proven safe, he's going to mandate it for the whole state of Virginia. So they're going to mandate vaccines. And it's in my blog, if you get a chance to read it. I, I, wrote, I, I typed the whole thing down, and then there's that link to my previous blog that didn't get put up for some reason. But already Virginia has decided they're going to mandate the vaccine, and there's no way to get out of it, it says, unless the doc, you get a doctor's note saying something to the effect of the adverse effects if you take this uh, uh, vaccines. Right. What are they going to do? Hurt everybody? I don't know. Police? I don't know how. I, they didn't do that. All they're saying right now is it's it's going to. They don't have any cops anymore. It's going to be mandated. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're starting to feel those of us that one are Americans and still believe America should be America. We're struggling with, you know, what the heck is happening to our country. We're also now those of us that are born again believers. We're, we're saved and we're trying to figure out how to maneuver the landscape of do we obey our authorities or do we not obey our authorities? Do we try to sneak into the store without a mask on and hope we get away with it? Or do, as some say, you know, kind of do a little white lie so that we don't comply? This is really getting, I think, it's, it's getting very interesting. And what I don't want to lose sight of myself and I don't want us to lose sight of is that God is here. God is here. God knows what's going on. It's all going according to His purpose and plan. I just think we thought it wouldn't happen like this while we were still around and we wouldn't have to start facing some of this. You know, we were kind of hedging our bets we'd be out of here. But we're starting to feel it and it's getting very real. I mean, you think about it. Are we going to... 
I, I don't want to go too crazy with all this. But anyway, that's, that's, so I want to look at the book of Ruth with the idea that God is sovereign and that he is at work. And there's an unseen hand is what I'm calling it. So here's what I want to do. I don't know how far we're going to get. I'd like us to read the chapter. I'll read it. You follow along. But I would like you to see if you notice anything that God is doing, but it's not evident that he is. Is there, do you see how an unseen hand of God could be moving people, changing circumstances for a specific purpose? Okay. Got that? Mm-hmm. All right. I wonder if I should say what the, I just thought of it now. I, I know the end of the story. Um, okay, let me at least say this. The reason why this is all important is because Yeshua is connected to all of the events that take place in this book. So Yeshua is connected to the events that happen in this book. And the people in the circumstances that take place in this book all have the goal of furnishing the line for Yeshua to get here. All right, so chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto the, thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. 
When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth and Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of harvest. All right, so maybe I'll just say things and feel free to interject. All right, so if you're familiar with the whole narrative of Yeshua, if you read Matthew chapter 1, you find out that Ruth is in the lineage of Jesus, right? So, so she's there. So Ruth has to get into the narrative somehow. This woman, Ruth, and nobody knows this at the time. Nobody's thinking like this. We know this because we know the rest of the story. So Ruth is in the lineage of Jesus. All right, so she has to get into the narrative somehow. Well, nobody knows this at this time. They're just living life. And so they decide that, hey, you know what? We're in a famine here. This is bad time. And I don't know if it was Naomi's idea or not. I kind of tend to think it was because she said, you know, the Lord's hand is against me. He's really mad at me. All this has happened because of me, she basically says. And so I wonder if, if she felt the pressure of, there's a famine going on. I have children. I have to feed them. Honey, what are we going to do? We can't sit around here and just starve to death. You know, we don't have all the detail. Maybe the people have died. Maybe there's been real hardship and heartache because of, of the fact that there's, there's a famine. And so, you know, they went over to the land of the Gentiles. And over the years, I've heard so many teachers and preachers and read so many things about how were they disobedient went by going to Moab? Should they have stayed in, in Israel and, and trusted God like some of the other people obviously did? Well, you know, it's really easy to sit here after you just had breakfast and your kids are healthy and you're, and you're sitting on the floor and you're playing and you have a job and you know that pretty much you're going to have a meal the next time you need to sit down. And it's easy to say, oh, they should have trusted God. They should have stayed there and waited it out if they had just waited it out. But I'm, I, I, I'm a little bit on the back end of this now. You know, it's easy to say what you would do. But we're, and I hate to keep coming back to this, but I will be clear where we are. We wanted to think we're so brave as believers and we're going to trust God and, and, and we're going to do you know, what we think, but we're stumbling over our feet over trying to be brave enough to not wear a mask. And, and we're afraid of what people will say and we're feeling a little bit of anxiety about it. Well, on the flip side of this, before this ever happened, we would have said, oh, no problem, we're going to stand strong, we'll be brave, we, don't, we won't care what people think. But you get into the scenario, and all of a sudden it's a little bit different now. Maybe I'm not quite as brave as I thought I was. You know, Warren, test yourself. See if you can walk into that store. You've been shooting off your big mouth about, well, I'm not going to wear a mask. If they want me, I'm just not going to wear a mask. Blah, 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 blah. Never thinking it would get to where it is now. Now all of a sudden it's like you can't go anywhere. It's gonna say you can't, you can't breathe without wearing a mask, and that's about the truth, you know. And so, all right, I'm gonna walk into Walmart. I'm gonna walk in a market basket. Yeah, you're real brave. Heart just beating away. It's real easy to say what you would do. So we can't. Not that you would, but we can't. I can't find fault with the fact that they. We're worried about potentially the kids not having food. Things are very dire. Honey, what are we going to do? Not everybody's made the same. Over there, over there 
is are where the jobs are, honey. Over there is where the good prices of the house are. Over there. Yeah. So they decide to go over there into the land of Moab. So, I don't know how to say this, but somehow God has to get somebody over there because Ruth has to get into the narrative. Oh, this is so good. So, they go over there. And what got them over there? A famine. You know, my faith is such... My faith is pretty small. Um, I, I, I have a difficult time trusting God in the small ways, but I can believe that He would move me all the way from New Hampshire to Arizona because He knew I would find out I had cancer. And if you're going to have cancer and need to be operated, one of the best places you can be in the whole entire country is Arizona. I can actually believe that He would move me all the way down there because I would have health insurance, that health insurance in my company would be changing. Hadn't been to the doctor in 20, 25 years. I'll go ahead and get a physical. Sure, why not? Everything's going to be fine. Find out we have cancer. You know, I, I have to believe that somehow God knew that I was going to be fried in the ministry. We had to get to Arizona. Why? Because both of my daughters end up meeting their husbands there. You know, how in the heck did I get from uh, New Hampshire to Arizona for all the good that happened, though the turmoil of the moment was horrific, and moving the family there and making that big move from here to Moab. See, that's real life. Sometimes God will bring about the famines of our life to get us and to direct us where He needs us to be. Could He have gotten uh, Naomi and Elimelech over to where Ruth was with prosperity happening? Mm, I don't know. See, the unseen hand of God, I'd love to just read this stuff and enter into it and see, because we know the end of the story, look at this. They had to get over there because Ruth was over there. And see, the unseen hand of God is providence. Alright, so I'll tell you all of it rather than you think about it. But I mean, so, does anybody, so any thoughts on that? You know, we're free to talk today. I mean, can, can you... When does prosperity push you to do things you wouldn't normally do? Excuse me? When does prosperity push you to do things you normally wouldn't do? <laughs> that's a good point. Never. And that's why I think also when God's people are doing well, then they fall into wicked depravity. God brings oppression, and God brings the Philistines, and God brings the enemy, and the enemy's coming in with their hundreds and hundreds of camels tenting out around your land, and as soon as you go out to do the harvest, then they come in and scoff it all up and they eat it. Then all of a sudden, God's people start to cry out and say, God, help us, where are you? And God sends a deliverer. So, I like how God can work in and through the events in our life. Now, do you think they were thinking, oh, God's, God's hand is upon us, honey. And I know He, let, I prayed about it. And, and, you know, and God says we need to go over to Moab because He has good things in store for us down the line. I don't think so. Well, I think it's hard too sometimes because them going to Moab doesn't necessarily mean it would be like yeah. David sleeping with Sheba. That's still the lineage of Yeshua, but that obviously wasn't okay. All yeah. happened. So. Oh, and there's so much of that in this. That's hard to know. Like, I mean, God brings good out of it, but. Well, and that's another good excuse. Sin, yeah. but God uses. No, but the other, the positive is, who of us has not messed up? All right. And the fact that God can take our mess ups and turn them around for His glory. And I think maybe part of it is Naomi comes back and she's a broken woman. Not that she needed to be broken, but she's a broken woman. And sometimes God has to use our own decisions to bring us to a point where we break to where we'll yield to Him and say, I am nothing, God is everything. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm glad one... 
Sometimes we may make the wrong choices. Two, God can work through all of that for His glory and for our good if we'll ultimately trust Him. We have to ultimately trust Him. And, and if we can maybe rest in that, perhaps we'll be willing to risk more for God and won't fear making a mistake. You know, how can I convince everybody that it was... I, I knew we had to move to Arizona. I don't know. That was a risk. What if I got out there and it just all fell apart? And basically it did. I couldn't find a job for months. And the jobs I had just were disastrous. And we were going further and further in debt. And there was a whole lot of... And my girls were not happy with me. You know, it could have all backfired. But look what happened. The willing to risk. The trust God. You know what? I won't wear that mask. I, I will not take that vaccine because... I am not going to allow somebody to put something into my body. I'm not going to do that. I think, it's, I think it's good to remember too, like, just because it doesn't like, like your cancer story is pretty cool and like pretty amazing. Um, and I think of like when we moved here and then Jacoby and going to Boston. But it, I think it's important to remember too, like, if, it, if there wasn't a neat story like that, mm. that doesn't mean you weren't supposed to go. Yeah. yeah. Like, because you, like, you know, people would say, like, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, you, you'll find a job. Well, and they don't know the neat story yet, really. Right, but regardless, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe yeah. not taking the vaccine will cost your life. But that doesn't mean, you know what I mean? Sure, like, what absolutely. About the it doesn't always come out a happy ending. Right. What about the disciples that got martyred? Yep. Does that mean they were wrong? No. You know what I mean? Sure. So it's yep. like, the neat stories are, are great, yeah. but that doesn't mean that'll be the case every time. No, that's right. And we'll see that if we get to the end with some of the other people in the narrative where not everything worked out happy, happily after. Ending. All right, anything else? And we'll move on. So, oh, I have some notes here. All right, so here's some of my thoughts. All right, so are these the unseen hand of God? So you have the prop, oh, you, you have, um, so you have the famine. All right, did God orchestrate a famine just for that? Was God in the famine? Who knows? I don't know, but something happened out of that famine, the difficult time that caused a people to take an action whether it was right or wrong, we're saying, could have had a happy ending, a bad, or not a happy ending, but could God, could God have known that a famine, and was God involved in that famine? I don't know, I just, I don't know, you, you fill in the dots. All right, so, all right, so now, let's see. So it talks about in verses one and two that they are Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. All right, so, Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how shall we see the light? Okay, what has to happen in, in Bethlehem, right? Eventually, or what happens out of Bethlehem? Well, the Savior is born in Bethlehem, so we have this connection um, with uh, Bethlehem, which I just think, to me, is, is fascinating, and several commentators refer to it. Um, I'm just making some connections. So you have, they're, fr they're from Bethlehem. Um, oh, I don't know how to get much to get into the, all this. Anyway, we're also told that Rachel died and was buried in Ephrathath, which is Bethlehem. Yeshua was born in the city of David, which is Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 prophesies that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. And then in verse 4, Ruth enters a narrative, and Ruth is a Gentile. So she's a Gentile. Naomi blames herself and believes the hand of the Lord is against her. Then she says, I went out full, but I came home empty. Did she really come home empty? No. And every time I read that, I want to just yell, Wait a minute, Naomi, you're not coming home empty. You have Ruth. And I don't think she's dissing the fact that she uh, has Ruth, but she lost her husband, she lost her two sons, she went out full, now she comes back without her husband, she comes back without her two sons, one of the daughter-in-law stays there, 
for all practical intents and purposes, she, she's very, very diminished from how she went out. Um, so it's interesting. She says, the Lord has brought me home again empty. The Lord has testified against me. The Lord has afflicted me. Um, and as I said, could it have been Naomi's idea to go to Moab to feed her children? All right, so let's go into chapter 2. Chapter 2, you have enter Boaz. All right, enter Boaz. All right. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me, go, uh, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap, here's more the unseen hand of God, and her hap, it was her, she chanced upon, uh, a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. So she's out there, I need some place to go. She just, for whatever reason, says, oh, this field looks good, and I'll, I'll just stay here and, and glean after the reapers. Well, it turns out that she couldn't have picked a better place to to stay because Boaz is a kinsman related to um, uh, the family of Elimelech. All right, so verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even, uh, continued even from the morning until now, except she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? And Boab answered and said unto her, It hath fully been shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother, and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be uh, be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, uh, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and, and she brought forth and gave it to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wottest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is... Boaz, and Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. 
And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So they kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest, and of wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. So what I think is so cool is, I mean, put yourself in the spot of Ruth. She's going, she's leaving her family. She's going with this woman that, that treats her like her own daughter. And I, I feel that, uh, that Ruth felt like Naomi. She treated her like her mother. And so they, they decide to go back to this land. Well, Naomi's going home, but Ruth is going to a place she's never been before. This is all new to her. And there has to be a level of anxiety. Will she fit in? Will, will, will the people respond well to me? What is going to happen? What will happen to me? But yet, by faith, because she trusts in the God of Naomi, uh, Ruth goes back with her. And so Ruth says, oh, oh man, I've got to do something here. We need to eat. So she said, hey... I'm just going to go out and I'm going to go just see if, if I can find some place where I can just kind of scrounge up some grub for us. And she goes out and by chance she happens to come to the field of the right guy that she needs to come to. She doesn't know it. She has no idea. She gets back, gets told by Naomi. And I just have to think that look, when Naomi heard this, she must have just shook her head and said, What? You know, Naomi could have said, hey, go out here. We have this near kinsman. If we can convince him to, to do the role of the kinsman, and, and if he really thinks you're good looking enough, I mean, she could have manipulated the whole thing. She could have set it up. Maybe she chose not to. I, I don't know. But instead, Ruth goes out. The unseen hand of God, I think, is directing her to where she's supposed to go brings back news, and Naomi says, whoa, this is great news. You stay there. Don't go anywhere else. Stay there. Don't, you just stay there. Let's see what's going to happen. And I, I love that. You know, that's kind of like life. You start out on the road of life, and you just don't know where the twists and turns are going to take you. And... Um, Again, you don't always end up in the right field, but sometimes you really do. I mean, I can think about so many different times, you know, when we were raising our, our support to go be missionaries where, I mean, God's hand was really there. I mean, and... I think, I think what we just have to do is be willing to trust God with the unseen aspects of our life, knowing that it's not unseen to Him. And knowing that He has His hand upon us and we can trust Him. I can tell you right now that the way everything has gone, you know, you ask my wife, anybody in your family, I have not wanted to be a bus driver for a while. And I've looked at this job, looked at this job, put applications here, decided to go there and check and this and talk with that person and have all these leads. And, and I think I was just telling you the other day, I am so glad I didn't get any of those jobs. Not a one of them, because I would have been forced to wear a mask all the time. Whereas right now, I haven't been, though I am. But where I am... In the bus company, I've had latitude, you know. And so you think sometimes that that's the course you should take. I got out to Arizona and thought, I want this job, got this job, worked for Target. It's like, oh, I landed the perfect job. Oh, this is going to be great. Thank you, God. And you're just praising God. And what was it? Three months later, I was gone. <laughs> and I'm temping it. We're all along. My wife, she's been temping, making more money than I have, temping where she was going, and, and I'm struggling. And then, so then I get, I get um, so taking the journey, trusting God, stepping out. So, you know, um, oh, so Judy was temping through Kelly Girls, Kelly Agency. So she said, why don't you try that, honey? And I, and it just for women. No, no, no. So I, I do. 
uh, I get a call the next day, and it's for a warehouse job. And for $10 an hour, it's like I'm saying to myself, no, I can't do this, not $10 an hour for a warehouse. I, well, I said, and it just happened that family was visiting. I said, I can't do that uh, uh, right now. And she said, okay. So that job must have gone by. I get my next call, and the next call is to go to Markel Insurance Company to do some tent work that was supposed to last only three weeks. I don't know why I'm sharing any of this. I didn't even think of any of this. So, what's so incredible about Markel? Kent, Pam, Judy's sister's Pam's husband worked at Markel and had recently left to go to another insurance company. So, I'm thinking, and Kent loved Markel. He, he loved Markel. Uh, he just felt this was the next step was a, a, an opportunity that would come quicker. Well, he says, hey, Warren, I'll give you one of my Markel shirts. So when you go in for your interview, you can have the Markel shirt on. So I go in there, and we had the meeting, and Taylor, who ends up being my boss for the next how many years I worked there, said, how'd you get, how'd you get that shirt? And I says, well, my brother-in-law, Kent Hainline, worked here. Kent, that he's your brother-in-law? Oh, Kent, he just, oh yeah, Kent's a great guy. So my foot's in the door, you know? And so, I don't know, where am I going with this? I'm trying to maybe remind myself. So, but it was only supposed to last for three weeks. I was there six months, and all the tents were let go. I was the last one hired. They kept me and one other guy. So anyway, all of that to say... Sometimes you, 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 you don't get what you think you want. Sometimes God doesn't answer a prayer that you think for sure He should have answered. Sometimes you think He has answered that prayer and you're praising Him and blessing Him only to find out that, nope, that's not really it. Why? Because God takes the circumstances of our life and He knows what He needs to do to teach us one, to be conformed more to the image of His Son, to learn about ourselves, and to eventually get us where He wants us to be. And so she ends up at the field of Boaz. And all the fields end up. Can't your brother-in-law? You landed on uh, Boaz's field? He's a kinsman redeemer. I, I, I hope I'm making sense of all this. So, enter Boaz. Her hap was the land in the field. He's of Bethlehem. Um, it's just good. All right, let's keep going because I want to at least get through this. Chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred? with whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he went us barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me I will do. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followed not young men, whether poor or rich. See, he's much older than she is. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there's a kinsman nearer than I. So tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning 
that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to me to thee as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. And she lay at his feet until morning. And she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. And he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she had held it, he measured six uh, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when he came, uh, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou? And she basically saying, How to go? How to go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. So you have drama. So I put you have you have drama, you have delay, you have tension. It's, it's a great, it's a great little story. And so yeah. Oh, so basically what she's doing is by putting herself right down like that and covering herself over, she's, she's saying, she's presenting a picture that is basically asking, will you fulfill the role of the kinsman? Will you be the kinsman redeemer? Will you be the one in the family that will purchase the land and, and all that comes with it? Will you do that? And so she's, she's there for that reason. He recognizes that. He might already know that he's uh, already been thinking about his role in possibly being the one that will buy back the property um, and, and the land that that uh, is 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 rightly should belong in the family. And so, um, so I, you know, every time I read it, I'm thinking, you know, oh, okay, so you know, I'm roosting the whole story. You know, so one day, all minding herself, she she meets her husband. And these people that came over from this other country here, and they fall in love. She falls in love, you know, and and you know, Ruth's husband, uh, Naomi's husband dies, brother-in-law dies, then Ruth's own husband dies. Things are looking really, really bleak. Ten years later, the Lord's blessed. There's there's food in the land, and and Naomi says, "Hey, I'm going back." The daughter-in-law say, we'll go with you. One says, no, we won't. Ruth says, you can't pry me away from you. If you die, wherever you're going to die, I'm going to be there with you. And so she goes back. Naomi's a broken woman. She's, she's even bitter a little bit at God. Don't call me Naomi Pleasant. Call me Mara. Bitter because the Almighty has been against me. And, and look at what has happened. I went out full and I came back empty. And so Ruth, being the good daughter-in-law, says, hey, we need to eat. So she says, you know, hey, Mom, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to find a place where I can get us some victuals. And, and her hap, her chance is, is to light upon this field, which happens to be Boaz's. And uh, he agrees to fulfill the role of kinsman to maintain the family line. So, you have the drama. <laughs> All right, lay down, you know. So she has to sleep there. I, I wouldn't have slept. Oh, gosh. Hope that other guy, I hope that other guy says no. I hope that other guy says no. Dear God, please make the other guy say no. I want this guy. You know, what did she do that night? How, how, how did she wrestle with God? You know, and, you know, did Boaz go back to sleep? Is he saying, God, I hope that guy doesn't, yeah, I hope he says no. I hope he says no. I mean, you know, that's the reality of stuff. You, you enter in, it looks like things are happening, but then there's a glitch. There's a glitch. Ah, there's a delay. Oh, it just seemed like God was leading. Why is this all of a sudden this closed door potentially? You know, and so, and so Naomi, I think, who's learning, she says, hey, just sit tight. Just sit tight. Let's sit, sit still. Boaz won't rest until he gets this taken care of. All right, so that brings us to chapter 4. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by. And to whom he said, hey, come here. God, come here. Turn aside. Sit down here. 
And he turned aside and sat down. And so he took ten men of the elders as witnesses of the city and said, sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsmen, I'm sure you heard about this, but let me tell you anyway. Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to let you know, saying, hey, you can buy it if you want. Buy it before the inhabitants, witnesses, and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, sure, of course I will, why not? Then said Boaz, well, listen, okay, here's a fine print. Here's a fine print. The day you buy that field... Of the hand of Naomi, uh, there's this little clause in here you might not have noticed. You know, it's like it's like uh, insurance. When I worked at Markel, you know, they, they, they sold catastrophic catastrophic insurance for people that couldn't get coverage in, in high risk areas or because they were high risk. So I took the calls that would come in, and I had to deal with these people. And so I get a call. I've mentioned this five million times. Um, yes, I own a kennel, and I have insurance through you guys. And uh, uh, one of my dogs bit the prospective client that was looking at a dog, and I want to turn in, a, in I want to turn in a, a claim, you know, so that I can be covered for this. And I find out, sorry, you don't know, have coverage for dog bites. Now, who the heck ever would think to ask? And you go into your broker. We don't write. Markel didn't write the insurance. We just handled the back end. They'd have to go to the broker. The broker would write it. They would, in, in Markel's name, in, and then sell it to them. Well, you know, you and I, if, if I have a dog kennel and I'm getting insurance for my dog kennel, of course, you don't even know to think about, um, she, to ask, will I be covered if there's dog? Oh, no, no, we, we don't cover dogs. <laughs> or you would think if you buy flood insurance, that if there's a big storm, and your house is flooded, and water gets, or, or, or there's a big storm, and, 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 and water gets into your house, and there's water damage inside. And, and there's, you know, water, you would think you would be covered. Oh, no, 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 because it's, you didn't, what you didn't know was, if the water came in somehow underneath the eaves and got into the house, you don't have coverage. It's just bizarre. So there's always this fine, fine print, is my point in all this. So Boaz says, hey, Verse 5, hey, there's some fine print here I just need to let you know. The day you buy the field of the hand of Naomi, you have to buy it also of Ruth the Moabite, the wife of the dead, here's the hitch, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. In other words, the first child that was to be born to Boaz and Ruth had to be in the name of, uh, I forget who her husband was, but the name of the husband that had died. Okay, verse 6. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. You go ahead and do it. You want it, you got it. Verse 7. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing, for to confirm all things. A man took off his shoe, plucked off his shoe, and gave it to that person, and said, uh, and this was a testimony in Israel. So in other words, he'd take off his shoe and say, here you have it. You know, why do that? There's a whole bunch of different reasons. I think the one that makes sense to me basically is he's saying, all right, I'm giving you my shoe, which says I no longer have the right to plant my foot on that property. It's yours. And here's the proof. I have no right to that land anymore. This is the evidence of it. Plus, everybody else has heard it, that I have no right. I forfeit my life right to that land. It's yours. And so they hand over a shoe. All right, so verse 6. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. Verse 9. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Your witnesses this day, I bought all that was Elimelech's. Here's the name, Chilion. And all that was Chilion's, the Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Uh, verse 10. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon uh, his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his people, ye are all a year witnesses of state. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We're witnesses. 
The Lord, now, this is really good, so pay attention to this. So now they're putting a blessing on all of this. Uh, the people said, The Lord make the woman that is coming to thine house like Rachel and Leah, which two did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrathath, and be famous in Bethlehem, and let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine own age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, This is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Okay, we, we, we uh, introduce Perez, verse 12. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Amindad, Amindad begot Nashon, Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, and David is the forefather of Yeshua. So, this is really, to me, interesting. If Let me get my notes. Um, so it talks about Rachel and Leah um, in verse 11, which is uh, interesting. I don't know how to get into any of this. But then you have Pharaoh. Anybody remember the story of, of, of um, Tamar and, and Pharaoh's verse 12? And let the house be like unto the house of Pharaoh's whom Tamar bore unto Judah. Anybody remember that story? Okay. If not, I'll tell you. It's in Genesis 38. You really need to... Dressed up as a harlot. Yes. So, so Tamar married... I got to mess this up. Ur and On, I think it was. And of Judah's sons, Ur and On. And so they both died. One was wicked before the Lord. God killed him. Well, the brother was supposed to go into Tamar and raise seed unto her. But while they were in the act, he decided, I don't want to do this. So the Bible says he spilled it on the ground. God says, nope, you're dead. So <laughs> two of them are killed. Um, there is a younger son. I think his name is Sheila that is much younger, and so she's supposed to wait for him. Time comes. Judah says, doesn't give, her, uh, uh, doesn't, it doesn't happen. So, uh, Tamar decides to take matters into her own hand, and she plays the role of a harlot, goes on the side of the road, puts a veil over her face, Judah, I think, I'm doing this all off the top of my head. Judah is going, I think, to shear sheep with one of his friends. They, they pass along the way, see this harlot on the side of the road. Judah's feeling the moment. They, lay, they go together, and um, uh, he leaves, I think, his signet with her ring or something, and something and else, staff. and a staff, and, and uh, he's going to come back. With with money to to pay her, give her a sheep, I think. Oh yeah, give her sheep or something, and and then they'll do this exchange. So anyway, she ends up getting pregnant by her father-in-law. Okay, she ends up getting pregnant by her father-in-law. <laughs> what the heck? And out of that are two children born, Zara and Ferez. And Ferez. Is the guy in our story? Doesn't that just blow your mind? It just all this just blows my mind. They have to get the Moab. Ruth's husband has to die, and evidently she doesn't get pregnant, or perhaps she could have. So they have to get over there to Moab. 
Elimelech dies, Malon and Chilion die, Ruth has no children, her husband dies. Why? She's got to get back over here. All right, so they move back here, and she just happens to end up in the right field at the right time with a guy that's going to actually fall in love with her. And, but wait, 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 there's a hitch. I'm number two, there's a number one. Number one says, oh, I didn't know about that fine print. Uh, I think not. Now they get married. And, uh... Am I making sense? It's hard for me to do... Is my brain? My brain's having a hard time with everything going on to to stay coherent. <laughs> not, yeah. I'm not complaining. Not complaining. It's just, you know, this is a scenario in speech class when they just drop somebody drops a book. You know, they fall off their desk when they purposely try to distract you from, <laughs> from your train of thought in speech class in college. You know, can you pay attention to where you're going with all this distraction? Because real life is, you're going to have one day a bunch of kids on the floor playing with toys, and you're going to have to try things. So, I think I, it's interesting. I was going to say, like, it's kind of that, like, Perez isn't like just a, oh, he's in the line of Yeshua, but you kind of have to dig into the weeds to figure that out. He like gets his own little section. Yeah. Like in like. He's highlighted. He gets his time in the spotlight. Yeah. It's just amazing because 18, now these are the generations of Pharez. And, oh, it's supposed to be, anyway, there's uh, there's so much here. Anyway, I don't want to, but there's 10 generations here. Uh, That's a whole other topic. Anyway, so, but 18, now these are the generations of Pharez. That guy we're just talking about who got born because... His mother played the harlot to entrap her father-in-law. <laughs> and you end up in verse 22 with David. Mind blown. Pharez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, Nashon, Nashon, Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz. So this is how we get to Boaz. We get Boaz in the story. So you have Pharez. Down the line you get Boaz. <laughs> And he begets Obed. Obed begets Jesse, who's the father of David. And you have David. I just love this stuff. So when you get right down to it, you have four women in the lineage of Yeshua that... That's not my grandson. <laughs> so you have in the lineage of Yeshua, Tamar. You have Rahab. You have Ruth. And you have Bathsheba incident. This should just give all of us hope. God takes whatever that even at times seems bad and may be bad. But if we're walking the best we can, even with our mistakes, even with our faults, flaws, and sins, if we will keep our goal on God and keep going towards Him, confessing our sin, Naomi perhaps... God really let me have it. Maybe it was her decision. I, it was my decision. He didn't really want to go. Look what happened. And man, I lost my husband, my two kids, a daughter-in-law. Ah, God is really mad at me. Look what happened. Don't don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter. She didn't know it was a happy ending. So, you have Tamar, we just talked about that. You have Rahab the harlot, you know, that's where she's, Rahab the harlot, and, and she decides to uh, help the spies. She's a Gentile. So Tamar's a Gentile, Rahab's a Gentile, Ruth is a Gentile, and I'm not sure about Bathsheba. 
I think she might be too, but I don't want to go out on a limb with this. But you have these four women, but all of which, it's kind of got kind of unique circumstances. Tamar's father-in-law, Rahab, <laughs> a Gentile says, yeah, I'll help you guys. And and uh, here's, uh, you know, she's the one that lets them, puts out the cord of red. And, and then you have Ruth, who's, and then you have Bathsheba, David and Bathsheba. <laughs> The thing is, listen, is, uh, what keeps coming back to my mind is, is when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers because his brothers didn't like him. They wanted to get rid of him. They may believe he was dead. Sold him as slaves but took his coat of many colors, dipped it in blood and said, hey, Dad, look, he got eaten up. So Joseph goes and spends, what's it, 20 years in Egypt, but he rises to be prime minister, basically. And then there's another famine. And so... Uh, Jacob says to the sons, get on there, we need some food. Then Joseph ends up revealing himself to them. And now they're just devastated. says, hey, I get it now. You meant it evil. But God meant it for good because he sent me ahead of you to save life. So, you know, God is at work. You know, and then on top of that, Joseph is in Egypt and you have Ephraim. Manasseh are born. They're Gentiles. He marries a Gentile. This is just, this is so mind blowing. It is not always neat. It's not always neat. It's, it's not always like the nice Christian church down the street that has everything and everybody looks perfect and they dress perfectly and the cars are perfect and they have everything new and everything's fine and everything's perfect. That's... Ah, the Bible presents a mess. And it's a messy situation. Yes, there's a lot of good. And it's not always a mess, but there is the mess mingled with the good. And that's reality. The reality is... God's the God of messy people that just keep messing up. But because of His love for those that have by faith come to trust in Him through Yeshua, just like Ruth did, He promises to just be with them. So yeah, Chris, Hebrews 11, first part, wives getting wives, husbands back from the dead. Second part, same people of God, same God living in caves and dens and animals clothing and dying and starving. God's in it all. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for your word. I don't know if I got this across. To me, anyway, for me, it was a blessing once again to read the book of Ruth and to kind of dig a little deeper and, and find uh, the, the, the backstory to the names that are thrown out into this book and just see how the dots start to be connected and, and how your hand of providence, though unseen, is involved. When nobody really realizes that or or even thinking that, they're just living life as it comes to them, trying to trust you, though they make mistakes, make wrong decisions, death comes, they keep their eyes upon you and even at times maybe get bitter towards you. But you're a loving Heavenly Father and you understand that children just do stupid things. They don't always mean what they say. And you love us as only a father could. So Father, just encourage us somehow to realize that it might not look pleasant and in our own lifetime we might not even know how it ends positively. But we can trust whether for ill or for good, whether we see the outcome or not, that if we are truly yours through faith in Yeshua, you are our Father, and whatever role our infinitesimal microscopic existence is supposed to accomplish here, if we can just stay faithful to you unto the end, who knows what's going to happen generationally down the line. 
I'm sure Boaz and Ruth were not thinking, hey, this is really cool. Messiah's coming through us. Ah, isn't that great? No, they were just living life. Help us to live life unto Yeshua for your glory. Amen. Hey, mighty warriors around.